Welcome to the final episode of Axe of the Blood God of the year 2018. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. We made it. We made it through another year. We did make it through another year. Are you ready for the holidays? Are you ready to relax and play some RPGs and just generally enjoy yourself? Yes, I am just going to sit on this couch and probably not going to move unless absolutely necessary, like, you know, eating and, and washroom stuff and all that stuff. I wish I could do the same, but I'm actually going to be pretty busy this holiday season. Oh, who wants to be busy on the holidays? What are you doing? Well, I got family coming over the ho- over the weekend, and oh. I have to host my parents, which is always oh. a wonderful thing to uh, have happen to you Drama. unexpectedly. Yeah. Unexpectedly. <laughs> yes, somewhat. And then... After that, we're going up to Tahoe and staying in a cabin. So I, I guess oh, that's going to be a little more relaxing. That's going to be nice. That'll be very nice. But it won't involve sitting on my couch doing nothing and playing video games. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's unfortunate. I know. I have the worst life, don't I? You have a terrible life, and you should just probably just give it all up right now. Well, by the time you hear this podcast, we will all be on vacation, and it will be Christmas, actually. But there's still plenty of great stuff over on the site, including... uh, Nadia, you went through the best video game music of 2018? Yes, I did. I selected 10 songs, uh, although I cheated a little bit and included all of Smash Brothers, basically. And, uh... I, you guys I mean, actually, that's not a bad thing to cheat on, because Smash no. Brothers is kind of the greatest soundtrack ever. And not only that, some crazy, magnificent person actually on YouTube put together a, like a three-hour playlist of all the, the new remixes and stuff. So I put that on the article, because why the hell wouldn't I? But you guys also helped me out a lot with uh, games I might have missed. So we have a, a really nice a variety, I think. Yeah, I threw in the music from the battle against the Naragagante in Monster Hunter World, which uh, that music will haunt my dreams into next year because, oh my god, the Naragagante, what a monster. Did you hunt that thing enough to get like a, a set of armor? I did, yes. I oh got, I think I got the Naragagante sword uh-huh. and I got a bunch of extra accessories and such because I was going for a very particular build with my uh, my blade user, so... Wow, that's uh, that's all hats off to you, because when I heard that song, and this is the way I put it in my article, is like, this is a song that really says, I am an elder dragon that eats elder dragons, and I will eat you. <laughs> Did you fight the Nuragagante? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty tough. I would say he is my favorite fight, uh, outside of maybe the Pink Rathian, just because the best part of that fight is when you get him into the final section, um... At a certain point, he leaps at you and uh-huh. then crashes through, like, uh, a piece of the environment and everything comes tumbling down. Nice. And then he turns and you can see his head kind of emerging from all of the debris and everything. And you're like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> and it comes that's, that's leaping back out. And <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Yeah, That is scary. That's like, oh, good, he's dead. Oh, my God. You also, for some reason, wrote five instances of video game characters crashing nativity scenes, which I think has my favorite head image of 2018. It's a Blossom and a Mewtwo around a Mew in the manger. Yeah, and I don't know if you read the article, but I said I'm really kind of a little bit angry because, well, you know, Mewtwo is a child of Mew, not the other way around. So if you're not going to bother with proper Pokemon lore and your nativity scenes, don't even talk to me. That's just the U.S. gamer difference. We care about these details. We really do, and that really is our difference. And uh, we posted our top 20 games of 2018, which had a controversial omission, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But our game of the year for 2018 was Red Dead Redemption 2. It wasn't an easy choice, and that's mostly because 2018 had a lot of really good games Uh that I wouldn't necessarily say were like, I mean, all-timers, right? Right, right. No, I'm actually playing, finally getting to Red Dead Redemption 2 myself, uh, because when it first came out, I was uh, busy with Pokemon Let's Go. So I've kind of gone backwards and gotten into that. And uh, yeah, I could see it, why it would be selected as Game of the Year, even though, as you say, this wasn't a year of incredible, like, you know, Breath of the Wild sort of level uh, releases, and Red Dead Redemption 2 is an extremely flawed game, but also just has its characters and its story really carry it. And crashing your horse into into trees really carries it, too. <laughs> oh, my God. I hate crashing my horse into trees. I, I feel, feel so, so bad. bad. <laughs> it's the worst. There was one time I was in a, a, um, 
a chase and I accidentally ran into a stagecoach and like <laughs> three horses go flying, the stagecoach explodes, I go wow. flying, my Red horse was horse. somehow still alive. It was remarkable. Wow. Does its bonding drop if you do something like that? I don't remember. I, I just remember that I was in a chase and they they were turning the corner and I was turning the corner and it was bad. <laughs> there was also I think my favorite moment in that game is when uh, there's a side mission where you can uh, attack heavily guarded stagecoaches. Mm-hmm. And my grand strategy, like you can do a lot of things. You can do things like ride up next to them, get them to stop, get the guards to ride on ahead, then hold them up or whatever. But mm-hmm. my grand strategy was to hide behind a rock and throw a, a stick of grenade dynamite at them. <laughs> That'll do and the job. You- and if you do it just right, you can land it right underneath the stagecoach, and it blows up real good. <laughs> it goes sky high. You, oh my god! It's you blew amazing. up the money too, Arthur. You dumb asshole. Nah, well, no, no, no. You can you can still get the the money out of the stagecoach without any problem. It's like horses are flying everywhere. People, <laughs> uh, the the stagecoach is, is straight out of a, a western. It's it's tremendous. <laughs> That's so. great. I got to try that. You you um also man you wrote a lot of things this week. You also apparently you ditched the GameCube controller on Smash Brothers Ultimate. Yeah, I'm actually very surprised that happened. But the reason why it did happen is because I wanted to play Smash handheld. Um, I I understand why some people think the single player content is kind of a grind. Uh, I feel bad for you if you had to play all of World of Light for review. I would have put my head through the wall. But as a uh, kind of a side thing to do while my husband's on the couch watching, you know, TV or whatever, I just sit beside him and I, I do some World of Light and I have a good time with it. So um, to do that, I kind of had to learn, okay, well, time to, to get good with the Joy-Cons. And I did. Get good. Get good. Yeah, I'm we not play good, with but the, We play with the Pro Controllers and we, we play with two Pro Controllers and also the Joy-Cons, uh, the newer Joy-Cons. It's not recommend that you use the 2017 Join Cons because they have some input delay, but the newer ones aren't as bad. It still has yeah. a fair amount of input delay if you're not careful, but I mean, we're not hardcore FGC people, so we don't really care. I would say that if you're really into the FGC, I'm guessing that the GameCube controllers have the least amount of lag. Yeah, most likely. Um, I could see, definitely, I could still see like why serious fans like serious fighting fans would still want the gamecube controller if that's what you've been weaned on this whole time you're not going to change your habits yeah don't go changing so go check out all of the articles over on us gamer um and throughout the week we're going to be making our staff picks for our favorite games of 2018 it for me nadia it was a very hard choice between monster hunter world and red dead redemption 2 but i would say red dead redemption 2 ended up getting past it by just a nose and i suspect that's recency bias because i really loved monster hunter world yeah that's understandable although monster hunter world doesn't have stage coaches that blow sky high hell no it doesn't maybe in the dlc <laughs> and- but then again, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 doesn't have giant winged beasts that bomb you with their seeds or something uh, <laughs> while you're trying to fight another dinosaur-like monster, and then a third dinosaur just comes in and starts eating the other. I mean... That's true. That's not a thing that Arthur Morgan ever gets to see in Red Dead Redemption 2, so I would say that they both have their advantages. There should be a crossover. <laughs> uh as always you can find acts of the blog on on all of the different download services you're probably listening to one right now follow us on all of the social media channels and if you have a comment about something on the show drop me a, a line at cat.bailey@uschemer.net or uh, my dms are open on twitter i'm the uh, at the underscore catbot nadia's at nadia oxford and we have a tendency to read the comments from the show notes over on the website so if you want to be heard on the show drop us a line there as well now we got a bunch of nice comments or uh heading into the holidays from people who say they're new listeners so welcome aboard new listeners to ask the blood god yes we're really glad to have you oh my god we've been going for like this is we're heading into year four of the podcast next year it's very exciting that is quite exciting and i'm happy that we've uh, kept it uh, well, I'm, ass- I'm going to assume and go out on a limb and say it, it's still interesting and fun so thank you everyone for listening i think that this is the best year of acts of the Bug god ever and it's not particularly close i'm trying to remember what happened last year that was uh 
exciting well, or not exciting? Last year, we were doing the Persona 4 Golden Report. Right. Which, if you haven't heard that one, you should go back and listen to it. Because the P4 Golden Report and the FF9 Report, I think, were both really good uh, yeah. discussions of those games. Those um, were fun. But I've been having a lot of fun doing the Top 25 RPG breakdowns and mm-hmm. everything. So. And we've had a lot of really cool guests on this year. But, uh, well, I mean, this is the last episode of the year 2018, Nadia, and it's time to wrap up our discussion of the year in RPGs that was 2018, and, and let's, let's talk about our favorite RPG for 2018, and I just mentioned that we all have our staff picks on the website, and I'm going to guess, I, I, I haven't seen your staff picks, but I'm betting that your favorite RPG and your game of the year are kind of the same. Yeah, I'm not exactly. I, I even like kind of shamed myself and said I'm not pulling out any huge surprises for this one. But yes, my you're number so one. predictable, Nadia. <laughs> yeah, when the when in a year where a mainline Dragon Quest ga- game comes out, I'm pretty predictable. But yeah, my number one pick is Dragon Quest Eleven. Why is Dragon Quest Eleven just so special to you? Um, it was basically everything I wanted it to be. I wanted a good story-based Dragon Quest game, because as we've discussed in the past, there are some Dragon Quest games that are more systems-focused, and, uh, sorry, systems-focused, and there's some that are more story-focused, like Dragon Quest Eight and Dragon Quest Eleven. kind of goes with that story-focus. Uh, it, but it still has a, a, a big world, a really neat twist in the middle, I like the characters a lot. It's just very... There's a term I once heard called boringly perfect. And to me, it is the most boringly perfect JRPG. It's just so well-polished, well-put-together. It's what I wanted. Um, I would probably play it all again when it comes out on the Switch, because I I want to sink another 100 hours into this. I feel like when people talk about Dragon Quest Eleven, they talk about pacing and... Mm-hmm. Which is funny, like, I, I think the same thing came out with Red Dead Redemption 2. People were like, oh, the the opening is so slow. And I'm like, oh, actually, I really enjoyed that tutorial. I thought it moved at a really good pace. And it was always interesting. I was doing things like robbing a train, mm-hmm. getting into shootouts, meeting interesting characters. The scenery was out- outstanding. There was a certain amount of desperation. Whereas Dragon Quest Eleven moves just, it, it very stubbornly moves at its own pace. And... It. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say that it doesn't truly get going until you have the entire party gathered. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't even have to wait until the full uh, the full party gets gathered. I think for me, it started to pick up around the time you visit. Like, there's a hot springs town that I can't remember the name of, but uh, when you when you recruit like Veronica and Serena is when I started to really when things really started to pick up. But even before then. It's just I'm so used to JRPGs moving at their own pace. I take things for how they are. And even if, like, the story starts off a little slow, it's like, okay, well, big deal. I enjoy the systems. I enjoy the battles. I enjoy the scenery. I enjoy riding my horse. Uh, I don't mind things being a little slow at the opening, which is kind of my attitude with Red Dead Redemption 2 as well. Uh, My only complaint about RDR2's tutorial is that it's so convoluted that I forget how to do everything anyway, so there's no point in having a tutorial. I have to consult the in-game guide or, like, read the prompts all over again. Go check out the U.S. Gamer Guide to Red Dead Redemption 2, please. No, I have. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, one thing that I was... I was discussing this with somebody. I forget who it was. It, it, was, a, it was a conversation about Red Dead Redemption 2. Surprise, surprise. And this person wasn't very, like, into it. And they said, well, I like my games to surprise me mm-hmm. and or my favorite games to surprise me and i think it's this school of thought that the best games always have to do something new right and it the question becomes what is better being super innovative or being so well executed that you just polish everything up to a perfect shine and I would wager that Dragon Quest XI kind of exemplifies that, where, yeah, like, you look at what it does, and, I mean, so much of what it does outside of the graphics could have been accomplished on the PlayStation 2. But when it tells a really grand, sweeping story, and it has memorable characters like Silvando and that kind of thing, uh, I mean, you can't help but stand back and go, really good. 
yeah, yeah, that's very true. And also in the context of Square Enix, Square Enix to me is they take their it's their Final Fantasy series that they experiment with, and is Dragon Quest where that it's like okay, Japan likes it this way, we're going to do it this way, and we're going to make sure it, it it just sparkles, and they do. Yeah, I mean, Dragon Quest Eleven is very obviously about getting new fans in, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of callbacks to older games in the series, Dragon Quest One in particular. It's almost kind of the Final Fantasy Nine of the series, right? Except it's yeah. not as overt in its callbacks as <laughs> FF Nine, where FF Nine was just one long reference. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not quite as, as overt. Yeah, uh, the thing that I find interesting is if Dragon Quest Nine were or Dragon Quest Eleven were a movie. I think people would call it uh, formulaic. Probably. But I think that games have an easier time getting away with that, probably because if you really execute the gameplay really well, um, it, it, like, just the experience of being able to play this game, like, even though it's well-worn tropes and things that you've already seen, like, it can just be really pleasant. Mm-hmm. I'm talking myself into a circle. I don't know. <laughs> uh <laughs> What okay? I, I guess maybe I can turn this into a question. Mm-hmm. What allows Dragon Quest Eleven to avoid becoming formulaic? Because I feel like there are plenty of games that do fall into that trap. Uh, that's a good question. Because uh, yeah, I wouldn't call it formulaic. Certainly not in a bad way, like not in a tiresome way. But uh, it is familiar instead of formulaic. And I think maybe everything just kind of like veers off to the side just before it becomes a little too formulaic. You know what I mean? Like you have, uh, uh, I said in an article recently that uh, even though Silvando isn't perfect LGBTQ representation in an, in a JRPG, he's, he's definitely far better than some of the representation we get. And I feel like that felt new. Um, a lot of the characters kind of felt new. I like the dynamic between Veronica and Serena and a lot of the games about them and their bond and, and what becomes of it. Uh, it just has, um, it's funny, the story does seem familiar, but when you look back on it, you realize, oh, there's actually quite a few twists that that I didn't see coming after all. Yeah, I think that's the thing that really helps sets it apart, ultimately, mm-hmm. is that, as you said, there was that, that big twist and it starts to go into some interesting directions, and... If you get an interesting cast in place, which especially with Savando, Dragon Quest Eleven manages to do, you can start to transcend the familiarity and start to chart interesting new courses. Yeah, um, it actually reminds me a little bit of, have you ever read Bone by Jeff Smith? I have not. Okay, well, it's a very, um, if you were, to, if I were to give you a summary of it, you'd, you'd say, oh, that's a quite a standard fantasy story, and it kind of is, but once you kind of read it in context of the characters... Uh, and, and kind of meet them and see what they have to say and see how they act. It, it just really, it is the whole story. It is the whole experience. It adds so much to it. It is, it means everything. And I feel like Dragon Quest Eleven uh, is, is quite a bit like that. Yeah. So final thoughts on Dragon Quest Eleven, And do you recommend it to people now or should they wait for the Nintendo Switch version, which will probably come out in like 2021? <laughs> 2022 it would be generous yeah um i i really enjoyed it uh if you are a dragon quest fan especially a fan of of dragon quest 8 which a lot of people are they kind of came into the series with 8 and they fell off after that uh don't be afraid to jump into it even if you're just a fan of jrpgs in general by all means jump into it yeah it is a little slow to start but it's it's always fun to play it does pick up and I know some people say, oh, I shouldn't have to give 10 hours of my time just to, you know, for a story to pick up. It's like, well, that's your decision. Either way, whether or not you should wait for the Switch edition, uh, that's a hard question. A lot has to do with, um, gosh, I feel like it would be the perfect game to play in handheld mode. And that's what makes me a little bit irritated about this whole Switch business. Yeah, yeah uh, it totally would be. Unless you, Okay, so if you can find a fantastic sale on the PlayStation 4 or uh, Steam version of the game, by all means, grab it while you can. Uh, if you are absolutely dying for a great JRPG experience right here, right now, grab it. If you are just kind of interested and you know that you might not be able to dedicate 100 hours to sitting in front of your PlayStation 4, then I'd wait for the Switch. <laughs> 
we were talking about what separates Dragon Quest uh, and keeps it from becoming stale. Uh, I have a slime knight sitting on my shelf, and I think it's the monsters. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, is Dragon the Quest Eleven. Dragon Quest Eleven gives so much love to its monsters. It does, and not just the old monsters, but the new monsters as well. Uh, I have a saber cat on my shelf. Ugh. You have to kill so many of them. I know. Oh, that's another thing, I guess, that makes the game so special is how the monsters, like, interact with each other in the world. Like, there's, I remember seeing, like, a, a saber cat, like, you know, sleeping under a tree with a saber kitten beside her. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, my favorite RPG of 2018 was Pokemon Go. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That is a valid, I will back that up. That is a valid selection. I loved Go. I had played so much Go this year. Oh, by the way, I'm kidding. It's not actually my favorite RPG, but I mean, it might be one of the games that I played the most this year yeah. because it's not really an RPG. It's just That's kind true. of this AR thing, um, but it is fun. It's a it's a really fun social game, and it's made a ton of strides this year in mm -hmm. terms of adding the social stuff and the research tasks and the ability to battle against friends. It, it almost feels like a full-blooded Pokemon game at this point. Yeah, honestly, uh, all hats off to Niantic. They uh, they have really worked hard on making this game much more. Yeah, I was just in London recently, and I uh, so much fun getting uh, presents from the various uh, landmarks in London, mm -hmm. like the Paddington Clock. Oh, and that's adorable. Though, though in London, they have a lot of Mr. Mimes kind of lurking around. <laughs> yes, they would. And let me tell you, uh, I am really glad that we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, America and Canada. I'm, I'm just including Canada in there as well. Uh, because, and Mexico, let's just say Mexico too, North America. Here yes. we go. Land of the brave, united. Um, Mr. Mime, no Mr. we are free of Mr. Mime. We are, that is why it's called the land of the free. <laughs> There's actually, the first time I ever saw a Mr. Mime here in Toronto, was, was it, it was in a gym. So it was at the Hockey Hall of Fame, some, at the gym there. Someone put a frickin' Mr. Mime in there. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've got three of them in my box, and I kind of want to delete them, but I'm like, no, i got to keep you so I can trade you to somebody who wants that hex on them for some reason. <laughs> to some sucker. God. Yeah, no, you'd be laying in your hotel room, you'd just check Pokemon Go, and there would, there would be, like, wiggling moving around in the most horrifying way and then when you're actually fighting it it's doing the little mime thing yes very creepy very, very terrifying creepy. and you just want to catch it as fast as possible to make it go away <laughs> to get out of your hotel room yeah whenever people say oh the 151 pokemon are the best i'm like yeah but yeah. the 151 has jinxed mr mime yeah and uh i've caught like several female mr mimes so it just confuses me all the more don't even think about it. This is what makes <laughs> Pokemon special. They're going to be female Mr. Mimes, whatever. <laughs> That's true. Did you ever watch the show? I mean, they had a Mr. Mime who apparently lives with Ash's mom and does the housekeeping. Yeah, there's a lot of questions about that Mr. Mime. <laughs> and, and just says, my, like, all it says is Mr. Mime, but it looks vaguely human. It's just, wow. It eats on the floor out of a bowl. And someone said Mewtwo was right. What? Yeah, I've seen a screenshot where it's eating, like, you know, alongside Pikachu and everyone, and it's sitting on the bowl, uh, on the floor with a bowl in front of it, like Pokemon Chow, the crap they eat. No. It's no, very, stop. It's very terrible. It's the worst. Uh, oh, my God. Okay. So, anyway, my actual favorite RPG of 2018 was Monster Hunter World, another RPG that, I mean, you can kind of, like, step back and go, is this an RPG? I mean... It's mostly an action game, but it's close enough to an MMORPG mm -hmm. slash, and there's uh, aspects of a classic D&D &D kind of thing. But the most important thing is you spend a lot of time building your character yes. and min-maxing them, uh, getting them. It's not just superficial stuff. Mm -hmm. It's not just this gun is more powerful than another gun. You're no, spending it's very a intensive. lot. Yeah, you're spending a lot of time figuring out things like what kind of, uh, what does your weapon do? Like, how mm -hmm. does it hit? Um, what does your armor do? What kind of uh, special traits do you have? You have like a dozen or more traits inherent to your equipment at any given time. Um, so setting all of that up is important. Having like the various stat boosts and everything before you go and fight the mon fight a monster. Um 
your weapons can do things like cause bleeding or they're right. more powerful against certain types of monsters. It, it is far more intensive than your average kind of wannabe RPG. But more importantly, going back to the days of tabletop RPGs, the notion of getting together with your friends mm-hmm. and hunting really big monsters is like it's part of the genre. Right? Yes, absolutely. Even more than storytelling, because in the mm-hmm. very earliest days of D and D, I mean, D and D came from wargaming, and it was all about the stats and the building up your characters and everything. And then the storytelling became more and more important as time went on. And the same uh, kind of goes for classic, like classic PC and JRPGs and that kind of thing. But I, I would say that a game like Monster Hunter World is about as pure an RPG experience as you're going to get. So come yeah. at me. <laughs> There's that. And also, I'd argue you have your cute little mascot character. You have your Palico. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in the end, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it won Best RPG for the Game Awards. But for some reason, Detroit became Become Human won Best RPG at the Austral- Australia Game Awards. That and is the funniest thing. Up is down, left is right. Who cares at this point? The sky uh, is the ground. Close, it's close enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, like we were, we we made a decision not to talk about Destiny Two really on this podcast last year. I think it was, and we were like kind of going, whatever. Like it's close enough to an RPG, but l- let's be honest. At its heart, it's a co-op shooter. I've. I mean, you could say, oh, at its heart, this is a co-op action game where you're fighting a monster or something. Right. But it just feels like the RPG roots in this one are just a little bit deeper. It's not just a, a loot gatherer or whatever. No, I, I I see exactly where you're coming from, and I agree, especially with the kind of the, the earliest roots of RPGs with the, as you say, the min-maxing, getting, along with your, getting around with your friends, uh, hunting huge monsters that can mm. potentially kill you. Yeah, I, I see that's very... Very RPG-ish. And the hunting the huge monsters was so fun, Nadia. Oh, my God. Uh, I have not had such an exciting and intense experience as as what I've had in Monster Hunter World in, like, almost any game, really. The fact that the monsters take... They're multi-stage. They Mm -hmm. feel so real to you. Yes. In the way that they interact with the environment, with each other, and the way that they move... And the way that you can tumble from the top of the top of a tree all the way down to the bottom of the floor. The level design in Monster Hunter World is just tops. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a very, a very living world, for lack of a better term. And uh, I had a really good time with it, especially the time I was hunting with uh, with Mike. And we were, I can't remember what, what the name of that electric ferret thing is, but we were trying to <laughs> screw around with that. And some like Andorath came around and just started to like eat it. And <laughs> it was just crazy. And the first time you take down some of the really hard ones, like the Naragagante, mm-hmm. oh, so satisfying. Because those things, they do not hold back. No, it's, they wouldn't. Why should they? There is a large, uh, it's one one part really setting up your character perfectly, uh, figuring out um, all of your different armor and your build for your character mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. I was talking to a ca- former Capcom PR person. Now she's at Nintendo, but uh, I was like, oh yeah, no, um, I've kind of got like my build for my character and I'm like set. And she's like, well, well no, you got to get like multiple builds. Like that's what the best players do because then you can min max for the individual monsters, your particular build. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not that hardcore. Okay. <laughs> Famous last words, cat. Yeah, but I mean, uh, at their highest levels, when when they are tempered and extremely strong, that they, they will kick your ass if you don't uh, min max and know their particular strategies extremely well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be able to read their little tells, be ready to dodge at exactly the right moment, manage your motions, understand how your weapon works, uh, know where to hit them, and it. It doesn't necessarily matter if you have friends. You're not just going to easily overpower it. If anything, sometimes it can be harder. Yes, they get in the way. Yeah. But when you take it down, oh, it feels so good. And that that moment of calm as you're car- carving into it. Initially, I was kind of like, oh, I feel so bad for this thing. But by the time I got to the Nurgante, I'm like, screw you. I'm cutting <laughs> you up. Yeah, I hope I got some really good stuff out of this. Give me your spikes. 
<laughs> Give me your spikes. I need those spikes for that piece of armor. Damn it. And if I don't the get crafting. them, I'll kill another one of you. Yeah, the crafting is really intense. And I, oh God, you have to fight so many days. I fought the, that thing a million times. And yet, and yet I never really got bored with it. And then, uh, and then there's the elder dragons and the final boss. And the only reason I didn't keep going with it was I felt like, um, Monster Hunter fans will tell you that there aren't enough monsters in Monster Hunter World. Right. And I, I agree. And I wish that the uh, the post-game content were a little more robust. I wish that uh, there were more interesting events. But the good news is that there's a huge expansion coming, and I am so excited for it, Nadia. Yeah, and apparently it's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's an ice and snow. Yeah, yeah. It it sounds like they're basically taking, instead of releasing Monster Hunter World G, they're doing what they used to do with the kind of expanded versions of a game, where it's basically the same game, but with tons more monsters, and Which just fine. releasing it as a big old DLC pack, because it's the year 2018, and you don't have to release an entirely separate version. No, absolutely. No, that's a good idea, especially for a game as massive as Monster Hunter World to begin with. Yeah, more I massive. have... Yeah, I would have a hard time just starting over straight up and like, well, you could import your save into because there was Monster Hunter World for or Monster Hunter Ultimate for um, for the Switch, yeah. and you could actually import your save into that one. So there is that, but I would have a hard time starting over with a whole new game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd have to get used to all the nuances all over again. Well, just the grind is really intense. Yeah, exactly. I spent. I put more hours than I care to think about just grinding up enough stuff for various armors. And if anything, I spent way too much time trying to get low-level armors that I probably shouldn't have bothered with. Yeah, I think that was part of my problem, too. Like, until you get... uh, Until you get um, to the highest tiers and you're able to get the best stuff... Uh-huh. Or, or like you're getting into like the seriously hard monsters like the the Rathians and the Narragantes mm-hmm. and stuff. You you don't have to worry that much about what your weapon, your armor and your sword and all of that is. So Yeah, that's actually good point. advice uh because I think it's very easy to get intimidated. Oh yeah. No, it's super easy to get intimidated in that game, but yeah, I have a lot of fond memories of how beautiful the environments were and how alive the biomes felt, how well-designed, like, so perfectly well-designed the mm-hmm. level design was in Monster Hunter World, uh, and how wonderfully well-realized every monster was for the most yes. part, and how interesting they were to fight, and how each one was different. It was like Shadow of the Colossus, but uh, even deeper, and... Uh, the fight's that much more interesting. It was one big boss rush. Yeah, it absolutely is. With some uh, smaller, dumber animals on the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny when you fight the, the Great Jagger at the very beginning. I think it's called a Great Jagger. And then by the end, you just have Devil Joes running around, grabbing them up in his jaws, going, nom, 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 <laughs> nom. <laughs> Not the king of the jungle anymore, are you? It never was a stupid no. <laughs> overgrown, overgrown iguanas. Iguana, big inflation iguana. By the time you get to the point where, like, you can basically kill it in, kill it in five shots, and you're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> get out of my way. Just leave me alone. I want nothing to do with you. Or the one that flashes you in the eyes. Like, it was nice to get one of those into a battle because it would suddenly flash a monster. Mm-hmm. Ooh la la. And... <laughs> and the monster would be dizzied, and you'd be like, thank you, and you could take it down. Helpful. <laughs> I love nice. all the interactions in that yeah. game. Uh, They're pretty oh great. Gosh. And I, I don't remember if we talked about this much in the last episode, but I mean, it was a game changer in so many ways because it put the series in front of an entirely new legion of fans, became the best selling Capcom game of all mm-hmm. time. It made me a fan. And I had never really been able to get into Monster Hunter. And just playing Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate versus World, like, um, with all due respect to old school Monster Hunter fans, I totally get why you love the classic games and they're fun and everything, but I find the older ones a little too unwieldy, a little too mm-hmm. old, and I prefer the one that... I, I think Monster Hunter World is just honed. Yes. To, they got rid of all the extraneous crap, and they just made this beautiful, wonderful action RPG. So hats off to them. Like, I, I love that my one of my... Probably, maybe my favorite game of the year came out in January. 
It did. I actually, when I was looking back at my games of the year, I'm like, oh, okay, Monster Hunter World was last year. No, it wasn't. Holy moly. Yeah, between this and The Outer Worlds, uh, I think those are my two most anticipated things to be coming out in 2019. And it it sounds, everything I'm hearing is suggesting that Persona 5 uh, Reloaded will be coming out for the Switch next year as well. So it should be a really good year for RPGs. But but we'll be talking about that. Uh, We'll be talking about that next year. But all right, Nadia, let's talk a little bit about the RPGs that are underappreciated. Let's start with the game that didn't even make our top 20 list. But did you, I, I'm sure you submitted it, Nadia, and that was Octopath Traveler. You I did. did submit it uh, as I did. a nomination. Okay. Yeah, So, and uh, I might be the only nomination amongst our team, but I did submit it. You were, um, because uh, the way our system works for picking a top 25, 20 RPGs, just so you know, is everybody submits basically their list of games up to 20. Yes. Um, and any game that gets more than two votes gets thrown into a survey. And then we do a weighted ranking system where we just basically go, okay, here's how we would rank the games. And then it spits out, like it, it spits out the final list based on that. And then we sit down and we uh, haggle over some of the, Fight. the placement we were talking about. Oh, so where does Monster Hunter World go? Like, there's a lot of discussion about how high Monster uh, Forza Horizon Four should be, for mm-hmm. example. How high uh, God of War Two should be? How high Hitman Two? There was a lot of haggling over the top ten. I would say. Yeah, we were definitely. All, we were pretty happy with the the bottom ten. And ultimately, like you look, I, I think Mon- Octopath Traveler maybe was a victim of the fact that. It was just a really, like, even if it wasn't a vintage year for games, it was ultimately still a very strong year for games. And mm-hmm. I look at top to bottom, like, all 20 of those games, I'm like, yeah, really good games. Yeah, what, what else can I say? Like, Octopath Traveler could potentially slip in toward the end of the list, but, I mean, it's hard for me to be like, nope. Octopath Traveler has to be on over this game. Right. No, I understand that. Um, I picked it uh, for my personal list, and I also gave it a shout-out in my uh, Best Music feature. Yes, you did. But, okay, Nadia, you are the main advocate of Octopath Traveler, so please make the masses happy and tell them <laughs> why it's so awesome. Yeah, I think we, we, uh, we've we already gotten some irritated comments asking, why is an Octopath Traveler here? And um, uh, we already explained why it wasn't there for technical reasons. But um, I, I just, it's just one of those games that was I think was had a perfect release date, as you've said in the past. It came out in July. There wasn't really much going on. But I just really enjoyed the storytelling format and the battle system are the two main things, as well as the music. Um, I like the way that the story in particular for Octopath, even though it is kind of a, an individual tales uh, thing, uh, it kind of spirals outward as you go along the world map. And I thought that was very interesting. And as you go through each character's story, it becomes gradually more serious and darker. And sometimes, in some cases, weirder. Uh, I also really, really love the battle system, uh, which is modeled heavily on Brilliant Defaults, but has uh, its own... Its own uh, sort of thumbprint with the way you you break the enemy using certain spells, using certain weapons. It was just uh, that and the visuals. The whole package was just a different sort of RPG while also paying tribute to retro RPGs. And outside of the fact that it insists on having random encounters, I really appreciated all of it. See, you call it a different kind of rpg but i don't know if it is that different kind of an rpg i mean it's basically a throwback to the days of saga and that kind of thing no kind of but then you have the battle system which as i said is it's even though it's like bravely default it's not bravely default at the same time it's true um i guess when i look at octopath traveler uh nothing about it in particular stands out (laughs) i know i said it's like okay you get to tell them how awesome it is now allow me to tell you why you're wrong (laughs) well that's every episode isn't it sorry uh that's okay I, i guess with octopath traveler it was fine um i don't think it was an especially remarkable game and i think in five years we'll have forgotten about it uh no no disrespect to the people who made it it's a wonderful game i think that we as jrpg fans tend to like whenever there's a jrpg that is looks kind of good it's on a mainstream platform and it's not cringeworthy 
Like, uh-huh. we get really excited about it. Like, oh my God, look, look, here it is. You got to play this one. This is the one. This is the one that proves that JRPGs, they are awesome. Last year, it was Persona 5. Uh, this year, it is Octopath Traveler. And that's fine. Like, we want to evangelize for our games. But at times, I think that it causes us to get a little too excited about a game that it's fine. It's okay. It's not, I don't think it deserves to be on a top 20 list necessarily. It didn't really stand out to me. I know that plenty of people loved it. Like the people who loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. They adored it. And the people who didn't love it, um, they kind of went either, uh, I don't like this game. Like you mentioned the story. They didn't, a lot of people weren't huge fans of the way that the story played out. Right. That I get. Yeah, I thought it was a little thin, thought it found it annoying that the characters, I mean, for lack of a better word, were so separate for a long time Mm -hmm. and weren't as well developed as they could have been ultimately. And uh, yeah, like there was... Well, I mean, you have at the the end of the year and people are still saying, well, where's Octopath Traveler? So I don't think in five years they're going to be like, oh man, actually that game sucked. But where's Poochie? Exactly. Uh, No, I think the people who are saying where's Octopath Traveler... uh, this is not a slight to our community. I think our community is more attuned than most to mm-hmm. these kinds of games. I mean, uh, bless the heart of uh, Gamer Law. I mean, he was like, where's Alliance Alive? You know? <laughs> and it's like, that that's the kind of community we got over at US Gamer. And I think that's awesome, actually. I think, I love that our community is tuned in to different kinds of games than are the mainstream. But mm-hmm. I think we're fooling ourselves if we're like going to claim that, say, Octopath Traveler is on the level of Persona 5. Well, no, I'm not saying that. I mean, ultimately, I still gave it like a 4 out of 5. I'm not like... When, even- I, when I'm not saying on the level of quality, uh-huh. I'm saying like the level of popularity, like mainstream awareness, right? Well, that's harder to say because um, if you go by sales numbers... Uh, I think Persona 5 still outsold Octopath Traveler, but uh, Octopath Traveler went well past a million, if I recall correctly. It definitely benefited from the time that it was released and the fact that it was a Switch exclusive and the fact that the Switch didn't have a lot of games (laughs) at that time. I don't know about that. I mean, Persona 5 also came out in kind of a strange time, and it's also technically a PS4 exclusive, PS3 if you want to get generous. Well, I guess when you say... That it was a Switch exclusive, Octopath Traveler. There was also a lot of indies coming out on the Switch, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was coming out at a, a slow time, and it and it benefited, of course, from was it the groundswell, the grassroots groundswell of opinion about it. Anyway, like I, I hate bad mouthing Octopath Traveler because I have nothing against it whatsoever. Um, does it deserve to be on a top twenty list? Maybe. I mean, I think it did. But I understand it. It happens. It gets everyone has that game that gets bumped, even though they think it should be there. I just watched a Simpsons episode that randomly has Adelaide Stevenson, and he says, "I have no objection to man going on the moon." Well, I have no objection to Octopath Traveler being on a top twenty list. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to fight for it, and nobody else on the team was especially keen to fight for it either. But right. I, if you put it, uh, if you swapped out, I don't know. The messenger, I guess, for it, uh, I'd probably shrug my shoulders and go, "Okay." <laughs> I really <laughs> like the, the messenger, by the way. Yeah. Actually, I liked me- the messenger better than Octopath Traveler. But if you beat me over the head long enough, maybe I would get a concussion and decide that it was okay to put Octopath Traveler there. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Nadia, don't please don't beat me over the head. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about a couple other RPGs that maybe didn't get the love that they deserved this year. I think. Mm-hmm. Did we already talk about Valkyria Chronicles 4? Um, like we, I mean, you really enjoyed that one. Yeah, I, I really like that one. That's more of a, I know it's more of a strategy RPG, uh, but I know I really enjoyed that one. I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed the story. Uh, I think you're still right in that um, the whole novelty of Valkyria Chronicles is, you know, it has passed. That doesn't mean that I don't want to see more games like Valkyria Chronicles and Valkyria Chronicles 4. It just means the wow factor isn't yeah, quite I, there, but I still loved it. I don't know. I feel like I'm a little past Valkyria Chronicles at this point. Are but you? maybe. I don't know. Like, it was it was good. But it didn't set my world on fire, as evidenced by the fact that I also didn't advocate for it to be on the top 20 list. Yeah, I think I put it on the top 20 list. But I think you and I are the only ones who played it out of the team. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the original Valkyria Chronicles did set my world on fire, but I think it was a different t- time, a different It was place. really a different time, yeah. But I still would say, if someone said, hey, should I play this game? I'd say, sure, absolutely. I'd be like, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the original is out on Switch now, I think. And That's true. I would probably recommend that one over Valkyria Chronicles 4. They kind of go together. Yeah, but Valkyria Chronicles 1 is better. You think so? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Valkyria Chronicles 4 introduces some really good gameplay innovations, mm-hmm. but Valkyria Chronicles 1 has a better story. Yeah, it does have a, a better story overall, though. I, as we've talked in the past, I like the characters, at least the secondary characters in 4 more. Uh, another game that maybe didn't get as lo- much love as it should have, it sold extremely poorly, sadly, was Pillars of Eternity Deadfire, which by most measures was a huge improvement upon the original Pillars of Eternity, uh, and mostly because you're in a boat <laughs> and <laughs> I'm sailing boat. around. Uh, they did a lot of great stuff with the, the battle system, uh, with the story. It was It's a tremendous example of how to make a really good isometric RPG. Um, so, I mean, but it's bound to fly under the radar because it's a fairly hardcore RPG. Mm-hmm. And I think I was the only one on the team who ended up playing it. Yeah, the games are time-consuming, and I think we all fall toward our own natural interests um, outside of like the super, you know, super duper mainstream uh, games. So it can be hard to get everybody together on one particular game. I think. Yeah, it absolutely can. Uh, that's really a shame, though. If it was such a great game, it didn't sell very well. That's I hate it when that happens. It's not surprising, actually. Yeah. I mean, I think it was always bound to be that way just because i mean it's a freaking isometric rpg Mm. like a really old school one and it has a like a really nostalgic audience all of its own but i think a decidedly more niche one than a console audience yeah that makes sense anyway it's out on steam so you can go buy it and you should uh if you have not it's better than pillars of eternity one (laughs) <laughs> and Pillars of Eternity 1 was a really good game. So it has a I, boat. I think it I think Jason Wilson said it was his favorite uh game of the year. Or maybe maybe not his favorite game of the year, but maybe his favorite RPG of the year. Mhm. Yeah. So trust his uh, trust his opinion. He's a good he's a good dude who knows what he's talking about. Uh Persona 3 and Persona 5 Dancing came out. Not technically RPGs, but they are related to RPGs. I have not played those yet and I I want to. So maybe I'll make that one of my to-dos this holiday. It's funny because uh, Nadia and Hiran, or sorry, Nadia and Hiran, Katie and Hiran both played it, and uh, Katie seemed to really like them, but then maybe she doesn't like them now because she doesn't seem (laughs) particularly hyped on the remixes. Yeah, uh, the way she described it is, uh, I think the way she put it was there was one or two new songs that weren't written by the original composer of of Persona 5, and so she said they're just so very kind of like pale imitations of what they could be yeah for sure and i mean here ended up liking it as well uh both of them were like play it on the vita get the vita version yeah that's always the that's always the correct thing to do when it you know show your vita some love i'm just hoping that persona 3 dancing is an indication that they're actually making uh remaking persona 3 because it's time it gotta happen it's time yeah. time to bring it back yeah i gotta play this game people come on make it I mean, you can play it right now. You got a Vita. Just go get Persona 3 Portable. Yeah, I know, but I like remakes. <laughs> I'm a consumer It's whore. true. And how. It's true. I, I I think that, okay, I think it would be worth you picking it up over the holidays because it's still a really good game. And it has uh, this storyline from a, uh, you can play as a girl. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, it's very cool. All right, that's it. Uh, that's it for the RPGs of 2018. A lot of them came out. Some were amazing, like Dragon Quest XI and Monster Hunter World. Some of them were not so amazing, like Nino Kuni 2 and Fallout 76. Some of them were like, ugh, like Kingdom Come Deliverance, <laughs> which was a game that definitely came out earlier this year, and I would prefer to forget... And then there were the Pillars of Eternity Deadfires and the Valkyria Chronicles 4s and all of those games. And it was an interesting year. I don't, like the rest of the year, I don't, wouldn't exactly say that it was a vintage year. It was a little ramshackle, if anything. I think we're kind of all waiting for 
you know, the biggies like cyberpunk to be coming around the bend. So yeah, and Pokemon 2019. And oh, yes. I mean, Pokemon Let's Go. I mean, it was on our top 20 list. I would probably replace Octopath Traveler with Pokemon Let's Go. I would probably put uh, Pokemon Let's Go uh, over Octopath Traveler. I'd do that pretty easily, actually. Oh, oh, wow. Okay, so you're the advocate for Octopath Traveler, but you like Pokemon Let's Go better. Yeah, I I just had a really good time with Pokemon Let's Go. Uh, I will say, though, 2019, I want to see Dragon Quest Builders 2, and I want to see it as early as possible. It just came out in Japan, so come on, translate real fast. All right, Nadia, let us wrap up with the final mailbag of the year. Okay, Nadia, a couple weeks ago, we did a, uh, we talked a bit about random encounters, and I was basically like, tell me why random encounters are good, because I don't think random encounters are ever good anymore. I think it is a really outdated mechanic, and it has no place in a modern RPG, and surprise, surprise, our community disagreed with me, and here's what they said. (laughs) Donkey in the Forest says, Random encounters are neither good nor bad by themselves. They just need to be done in a way that values people's times. For example, Bravely Second is a whole lot more respectful of the player's time than Monster Hunter World. Random encounters are not the problem. The way they are implemented causes potential problems. If they repeatedly show up, as in Zubat Caves, or inflict the need to grind, they waste the player's time. However, they can be beneficial. They help each player have a different experience. I might encounter one Pokemon and add it to my party. Or my friend might encounter another. We can then talk about how that affected the rest of our playthrough, etc. Random encounters can provide a level of abstraction that allows for a greater diversity of encounters in a smaller map. If all Pokemon possible to encounter were visible on the map in a given area in time, it would look like a Where's Waldo image crammed full of creatures. (laughs) (laughs) However, <laughs> if the map were larger than a normal Pokemon game, like that, say, of Red Dead Redemption, then that level of abstraction would not be needed. I Pokemon Let's Go showed that it worked. Yeah, it absolutely worked for me. I they spawn out of the grass, and then they disappear, and you can wait for them to appear or not. It doesn't... It works. Yeah. Pokemon yeah. Let's Go worked. That's the best thing about Pokemon Let's Go, is that it got the random encounter system figured out. Mm-hmm. Funkotron says, I tried getting into... I mean, and... Okay. One more thing. In Pokemon Let's Go, there's still a level of surprise because you see the monster on the map, you wait for the spawn, you get it, and then you still don't know what its stats are. That's true. And uh, as I said, I think I brought this up in our in this episode where we talked about random encounters, but sometimes just uh, those really rare, crazy-ass encounters still happen on the map. Like I, I mentioned before, I was just kind of minding my own business looking around for some loser Pokemon, and just this big-ass Dragonite spawned out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, holy my God. crap. Yeah. So stuff That's like that awesome. happens. Did someone you catch actually, it? I caught it, and actually, someone had a similar experience on uh, Twitter. They were um, not only did they find a Dragonite when they were looking for a Magikarp, but they found a shiny. Really, they a pickle. That's amazing. <laughs> Speaking of Pokemon, let's go. Um, I mentioned that my friend's three-year-old daughter is playing it, uh, like they're playing it together, and yes. somebody somebody asked very politely for more updates on this. All right, well, here are the update. Here's an update for you. Uh, sent December 13th. Uh, Oddish's evolution was the first one she didn't like. It may oh. have ruined him forever, her words. Writing Pokemon is the best thing ever. Kadabra is basically permanently the one that follows us around because she, A, she thinks he's hilarious, and B, <laughs> we haven't found soup for his spoon yet. <laughs> Note, Aww. this is more or less our main quest at this point. That's amazing. Oh, and Magikarp is like two levels away from the big event. Oh, we'll have to see how she feels about that then. Yeah, I, I mean, I might have to text him just to see if I can get a live update. Uh, Stop so the that evolution. I can, uh, just so that I can see like if she like really liked it or uh, d- didn't like it. Because that was like seven days ago, so surely the Gyarados uh, has appeared by now. Yeah. I, actually- I'm betting she didn't like the Gyarados. Probably not. There's. Act- I'm just thinking of uh, Pokemon uh, Magikarp Jump for for mobile, mm. where uh, as I put it in something else I wrote this year, saying how if your Magikarp evolves into a Gyarados, it's basically the equivalent of a racehorse breaking its leg. Uh, is useless. Yeah, because it's not. Yeah. it can't jump. 
Yeah, I think that's pretty funny, actually. Like the one time that evolving into a Gyarados is a bad thing. Yeah, when it when in a, when you like give it to a trainer to train up for you, and it comes back and it looks at you with like a sweat drop anime <laughs> style. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Emily, I think that Magikarp Jump was Emily's favorite um, uh, RPG of the year because she uh, she played that game ridiculous amount. Like, I could not believe how much she spent, how much time she spent playing Magikarp Jump. It it's was pretty, pretty great. Ridiculous. Yeah. She was always enjoying coming up with dumb names um, like yeah. Magiblorp <laughs> and things like that. Yeah, Magiblorp. <laughs> Functron says, I tried getting into Pokemon back when Pokemon Black came out. I got frustrated by NPCs who would force me into battle, or worse, run up and challenge me once I got close enough. Pretty quickly, I was trying to avoid NPCs. I'm one of those RPG players who has to talk to all of the NPCs multiple times and after an event just to make sure I see every unique bit of dialogue. So this killed my desire to play the game, and I bailed out. Random Encounters IMO have the same problem. They discourage exploration and engagement with the world. They're especially annoying in 3D games, wherein movement tends to be slower than 2D. I stopped playing FF9 for a long time at that puzzle castle, partly because random battles made figuring things out that much more painful. That said, they were connected in Odyssey. The game uses random battles to escalate tension and force the player into difficult decisions. That's true. The attrition of fighting in that case isn't an annoyance. It's a pillar of the game. But that design is very different from most mainstream RPGs. Jeez. Yes, and actually by Etrian Odyssey as well, uh, Shin Megami Tensei, which I've I played um, Strange Journey Redux this year, which was, there were so many great games and didn't get a chance to shout out to Redux. But yeah, that's the same idea, actually, with all Shin Megami games. Is, uh, you, the more you walk, the more the higher your chances of getting a, a random encounter and you have that little meter that kind of tells you when you've uh, almost like when your luck has run out. And I think that mechanic is really interesting. Johnny Boy 407 says, I played Battle Chasers Night War and Cosmic Star Heroine for the first time this year when they came to the Switch. The form was cool, but got a bit dense in its upgrade and equipment system at the end, which turned a fun 30 hour game into a not as fun in the fourth quarter 40 hour game. Cosmic Star Heroine didn't do it for me. I think it had too much freedom and options for party building for such a short game. Felt mm. unfocused. Yeah, we kind of bounced on that one, and which is sad because Robert Boyd is a friend of the show. Like we, uh, I mean, I think we really wanted to enjoy Cosmic Star Heroine. I think it's a beautiful game that is really well made in a lot of respects. But yeah. it felt like there was something missing with that one. Yeah, I think actually the fact that there's too much party building, too many party building options for too, too short of a game. Too much party building. Yeah. <laughs> What's the meme? The party building in this game is too dang high. Too damn high. Too much Too much damn party building. Yeah. I mean, when you say party building, like, obsessing over the different characters in your party? Yeah, basically, they all had such... They, they were all very interesting characters, and they all had uh, some really unique um, abilities, but I think that just the game itself and the mechanics itself didn't, didn't quite fit a lot of those abilities. Uh, I think the... It, the game being a little bit too short might have been the problem. I felt like I found uh, I felt like I was just going through the motions too much on battles, and it, the battles were almost it was almost like no point in fighting them because I was going through my little ro- rotation of abilities, and it felt time consuming, a little boring. Yeah, it's often the case with a lot of RPGs, but like I think Persona Five, for example, did a really good job of fixing that problem because i mean every monster would have uh, different weaknesses and that kind of thing and you didn't have to go through an entire uh rotation to get to that uh, particular ability um to be able to take a monster out you could usually take them out really fast and then occasionally you would run into a monster that would f you up and you would come to like kind of dread it and like trying to figure out what that monster's weakness is so that you can take care of it on a relatively uh quick basis was relatively fun so yeah i feel like uh cosmic star heroine if there's a follow-up or, or anything of that sort uh i think that the battle system which i really appreciate for doing something different it would work better for just for boss fights and not for random encounters oh they've made some really great boss fights in the past i think i've mentioned that the penny arcade games stand out to yeah me, for example yeah i, I remember uh, uh not octopath uh, cosmic star heroine had some that did have some great uh, boss battles as well but as oh, you yeah. said the random stuff was a little more eh, as you say going through the motions yeah, I mean, it's worth checking out on Nintendo Switch. Uh, yeah, as for absolutely. another game, I think making that game almost killed the Z-Boyd guys, which makes me kind of sad. I mean, it's a, go- it's a glor- gorgeous game. Yeah. It's really yeah. beautiful. I mean, like, they really went above and beyond with the look of the game and 
they worked so hard on on the systems and everything. Um, it's a it's a shame it didn't quite hold together. But uh, P Dub says regarding random encounters, I think there's a couple times when it makes sense. That's a thematic ambush. You want to make a random encounter when I get to a trapped treasure chest, but not during the rest of the game. Go for it. You want to give me like 30 minutes of random encounters because I'm assaulting an enemy base or somewhere behind enemy lines and you show that enemies are basically crawling out of the walls. Go for it. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Hip Tanaka says, I don't want to defend random encounters in Pokemon specifically. It's probably better without them, but I think it's going a bit too far saying that's an outdated mechanic that never has value. Follow-up one is a game where random encounters fit perfectly. Travel is done in a more abstract view than the regular gameplay view, just showing a marker moving across the map. So when an encounter happens, it doesn't feel like you should have seen it in front of you, and that anticipation adds to the experience. For a few seconds, you don't know whether it's a bunch of death claws, hostile raiders, caravan of merchants, a lone blue box in the middle of the desert, or something else. That said, random encounters are probably used way too often just because they're too they're easy to implement. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting point with Fallout 1, but I think that Fallout 1, that, that is a little bit of a product of the, I want to say, the technological limitations of the time. And maybe we've moved past the point where we need to uh, make the travel that abstract. So, mm-hmm. uh, And Satellite of Love is saying, it is the resource management. We've had Rambat manipulating skills since Estoma in like 1991, Luxstat, that sort of thing. Okay. <laughs> Some games with non-rambats are rambats just visible. Monsters that are faster than you, Dragon Quest IX, SMT4. Ambush set-piece battles, Chrono Trigger. Low to no visual tells as to what party you'd be fighting by looking at the mob, tails and trails. Few to no fun encounter manipulation, Wizardry 8 versus, say, Breath of Fire 5 and more, but I'm tired. Three. <laughs> I feel that. Etrian Odyssey's lovely Rambat plus pants-shitting terror-visible units, FOEs. Can't have that. What makes the latter without the former? In short, it is useful. So there you go. All right. Okay. Well, I... I, Okay. Here's what... I will modify my position ever so slightly. Etrian Odyssey is good. Mm -hmm. There. I have modified my position ever so slightly. (laughs) I'm just sitting here remembering playing Etrian Odyssey 5 and talking about the FOEs, and there's this... God, there was a giraffe one that just scared the shit out of me. So I, I understand where these people are coming from. I think there are some games where, like Etrian Odyssey or you know Persona Q or that kind of thing, the Labyrinth games, where uh-huh. yeah, they're right. Uh, that kind of random battle uh, design can be integral because it is a resource management sim. Uh, there's an element of surprise to it, but I think mm-hmm. so many. RPGs, like if you're running through, if it's your typical top-down RPG, you're running through a dungeon, say Octopath Traveler, uh-huh. uh, and you're running through a dungeon, and it's like three steps encounter, three steps encounter, three steps encounter, then it's just tiresome. It doesn't add a thing to the game. Like you no, might as well go with the Chrono Trigger approach or having the enemies that stand in guard and you're trying to avoid them or whatever. Like I don't think it adds anything in that specific instance. Uh, well, that's it for this year, Nadia. 2018, man, what a year. And now we're looking ahead to 2019, which I I have no idea what's coming for 2019. It could be an amazing year. It could be a really mm-hmm. bad year. Uh, it's I'm not sure. Like, I'm a little worried that they're going to, like, developers are going to be focused on making games for the next generation of systems. Yeah. And so they're going to be holding their fire a little bit. But who knows, right? Who knows? See, you know what? The world is full of surprises. Yeah, but uh, it's going to be a great year for U.S. Gamer. I mean, we got a lot mm-hmm. of uh, really amazing things planned uh, at PAX. We're going to be going to PAX South, PAX, PAX East, and PAX West. We got a big old redesign coming up. Yep. We got some like cool events that we're going to be doing. We're making some new hires. We're expanding. We're growing, Nadia. We're getting we're, bigger. We are very much growing. And when you say like PAX Northeast, we, we need a PAX North. We really need a PAX North and East in Toronto. PAX Why? Canada? Because we have, a, we have a PAX like Australia. Why can't the hell can't we have a PAX, you know, Canada? Hey, if San Antonio can get a PAX, then friggin' Canada can get a PAX. That's all I got to say. <laughs> there you go. There you go. They got an NBA team. You got an NBA team. And you got hockey teams, too. That makes you better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no no slight to San Antonio. I'm sure it's a lovely place, which we're going to be in in January. But as always, thank you so much for supporting US Gamer, and thank you so much for supporting Axe of the Blood God. 
It has been an amazing four years at this point. Um, All of you are really great. It's always really gratifying to hear from the people who enjoy the podcast, given that we have to spend a lot of time, you know, recording it and editing it and putting it up every single week. We do it for you. Well, Kat does most of the work. I just sit here and talk. This podcast doesn't make any dang money. It's a passion project at this point, but... (laughs) uh, (laughs) A product of love. A product of love. So, in any case, keep playing RPGs. Keep on just enjoying this amazing genre. Go back into your backlog. I, I'm playing. I'm planning. I'm playing. I'm playing some Witcher Three over the holiday, Nadia. I'm Good planning. for you. I'm gonna finish that game before I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding you to that. If you die while playing it, I'm gonna be stand on your graveyard and be like, "Cat, you didn't finish Witcher 3. Well, what are you gonna play? Uh, I'm probably gonna play RDR two. Um, uh. I'm not sure what else I'm gonna play. I had, there's a bunch of stuff I want to play. Uh, Persona 3 Portable. Pers- I, well, I, well, I actually had to play uh, the new Super Mario Brothers game for the Switch, too. Oh, yeah, because you got that in the mail, didn't you? I did. I did. I thought about taking that for myself, but I decided that you're the better candidate for it because you are technically our Nintendo slash retro person. Hell yeah. Hell Best yeah. title ever. <laughs> Axel Blogout is a U.S. Gamer Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Make sure to get leave us a review. It makes us happy. We love hearing from you, and it boosts our visibility. Follow me on the uh, Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford, and follow all of our social media accounts at US Gamernet. We're going to be gone on the new year, like we're taking a break. So we'll, but we'll be back after that with our big preview of the 2019 in RPGs. Send us all of the RPGs that you are most excited to play, and we'll talk about them. But in the meantime. Thanks for an amazing 2018. We'll see you in 2019. Until then, I've been Cap Alien for Nadia and myself. Thanks for listening. Happy adventuring. Thank you.